0: So as we open up our passage uh, in verse 15, we read that the, the people are filled with expectation. And that's because there hadn't been a, a prophet for about 400 years. The people had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And along comes uh, John. And it was widely accepted that when the prophets would come back, that when prophecy would uh, come back, that the Messiah uh, would be ready to appear in our world. So when John the Baptist bursts onto the scene, everyone is filled with excitement because the Messiah is going to be coming. And this long-awaited age uh, for the Messiah was now upon them. You know, And in fact, some actually thought that John was the Messiah. We read that they were They were discussing this amongst themselves and questioning in their hearts uh, concerning john whether he was the messiah you know john spoke just like uh, the prophets of old uh, saying that people should turn away from sin and look to avoid the punishment they would turn to god and experience his his mercy and his approval and the thing is this is obviously a message um For them, but it's a message for us and for all people in all places that it's important that we turn to God and receive His forgiveness and mercy. And John is preaching this with with an urgency that seems to gather people in. And when we think of John the Baptist, we might have some incredibly powerful images. Um, I remember as a child um, there being a picture. Of John the Baptist up on the wall uh, in the in the Sunday school room, and he was he was quite a vision. Uh, his hair was all over the place. He had the the the, the camel uh, the, the the camel jacket that was tied with a leather belt, and um, someone had been clever and had uh, put a, a little honey pot uh, there. Um, there were no locusts, but um, but he did like locusts and honey, that's what he ate while he was out in the desert. So there's very many powerful visual images that we might think of when we think of John the Baptist, but he was also a man who had a tendency to say the, the, the morally right thing at the most inopportune moments, and to the people that... That might put him into a bit of danger, which of course would lead him to being killed by by Herod. <clears throat> you know, John also is the man who, as he's gathering this following, and he's preaching the good news to them, refers to them as a, a brood of vipers, or a bunch of snakes, depending on your <clears throat> depending on your translation. Now. There's nothing quite like winning friends and and influencing people Uh, as you go around preaching the good news of Jesus. I think I might take a different tack to the way that John does it. Um, I'll still hit you as hard with the the message of the gospel, but I'm probably not going to call you a a brood of vipers or a bunch of snakes. Um, You're all too lovely for that. (laughs) There's a few groans there. But anyway, But in verse 16, uh, John makes it clear that, that his baptism uh, by water um, symbolizes the, the, the washing away of of sin, and it's tied with this message of, of repentance and, and kind of reformation, reforming uh, our lives. However, he does say that there would be one that is more powerful than him that would come. And he says that he's not even worthy to untie the, 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 thong, the throng of his, this person's sandals. And that that person would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And of course, Jesus' baptism allows us um, the, the power uh, to, to do God's will. This baptism by the Holy Spirit was fulfilled at, at Pentecost. Um, as the the Holy Spirit comes down as as tongues of fire and and people are able to preach the the good news of Jesus in all different languages that they didn't even know previously. The Holy Spirit gave them that gift and that power that that more and more people would be able to hear the gospel and hear the good news. And the Holy Spirit enabled the, the disciples and those that were there that day to be able to hear that. But in true John fashion, He gives this this good news and then comes back in verse 17 by delivering a big, big warning. He says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here we have John warning of an impending judgment that will come not from him, but from God, and he compares those who who refused to live a life for God as as chaff, that outer husk of the grain. And by contrast, he says those who who repent and reform themselves are going to be this this life-nourishing wheat that will get taken into uh, the the presence of God into the granary, you know, the Winnowing Fork was this pitchfork that you would kind of separate all of the, the wheat from the, 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 the chaff. Um, those who refused to to work for God would be discarded because there was no real value in them as they refused to do God's work. However, of course, Jesus would use this exact same example as one of his parables as he was teaching the people, um, you know, separating the, the wheat from the chaff and how important it was for us to ensure that we were... On the, on the right side of the field uh, that we were making sure that we were connected to God. That those who repent and believe are are held with great value in God's eyes because they're beginning to live this new productive life, a life that is being lived for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but but when I read passages like this, it is... Uh, incredibly challenging to me uh, i find it i don't find that an easy read i think that um uh, anybody who finds the bible an easy read then i'd like to meet them and figure out how they how they manage it it's not the the, the easiest thing but it's incredibly challenging uh, as we read through this stuff however despite john's alternative way of dressing and presenting himself an alternative way of delivering the good news of of the uh, Jesus, um, lots of people seemed to respond to him. A lot of people responded to it, and we know that he baptised thousands and thousands of people in the in the Jordan River. And I guess part of that would be that he was completely sincere. People were able to see that that he he was not. Uh, just chastising them for the, for the sake of it. And there are plenty of people in our world that, that like to do that, but they were able to see that John was sincere in what he was delivering to them. He genuinely cared that they would repent and get to know the, this new life of living for God. And equally, that they would be redeemed through the Messiah who was imminent, that John was the one who was calling out in the desert and preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And it was urgent, and people needed to turn and repent and receive the Messiah when he comes. In verse 18, we read that, so with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to people. I wonder if he used more parables like Jesus did. Um, I wonder if he tempered his message a bit, or whether he continued to, to hit them with, uh, talk of them being a bunch of snakes and various other things or whether he managed to be a bit nicer to them. Um, regardless, we read that he continues to preach this, this need for repentance and his steadfast holding to the, the good news that Jesus was, was on his way. And in verses 19 and 20, we read, but Herod the ruler who'd been rebuked by him so clearly, John didn't temper it when he came up against Herod because of Herodias his brother's wife and because of all the evil things that Herod had done added to them all by shutting up John in prison in these two verses Luke is clearly flat you know fast forwarding uh, to let us know what what John's uh, fate was that he would eventually say the right thing to the wrong person at the wrong time and eventually would find himself uh, in in jail, and ultimately it would lead to his death. And this is Herod Antipas. Uh, Herodias was Herod's niece, as we read, um, but also his brother's wife. They were a very weird, uh, very weird family, very uh, very murderous uh, family, deceitful, and they plot for John the Baptist's death. But the fact that John had the courage to stand up to and continue to deliver this this message to Herod um, when he was in a position to, to do what he is able to do to John shows that he was clearly being filled by God with an amazing amount of courage to be able to stand up and deliver that message. It was, of course, an incredibly dangerous thing for him to do. But no matter how powerful Herod was here on earth, John knew that no matter what was done to him, it would never be the, the, the final word. He knew that the Messiah would always have the final word. And we know that too. That our Lord Jesus, no matter what happens in our life here, it is our Lord Jesus that, that will have the final word. It's always reserved for Jesus. And now that we've got to this point, we get to the main event of our passage this week in verses 21 and 22. It says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you, I am well pleased. And the first thing that jumps out at me with this particular passage is it's such a contrast to Jesus' birth that we celebrated you know, just under a month ago. You know Jesus was born to humble parents in a small town. Uh, of Bethlehem, a birth that was effectively unannounced other than to some shepherds uh, and some uh, foreign wise men who are are traveling. But his baptism, as recorded by Luke, um, appears to have been witnessed by by many, many people. And as they're here on the the shores of the River Jordan, as more and more people are coming to, to be baptized, and it's the first, public, the first public declaration to the people of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. You know, his ministry starts on the back of his baptism. And instead of going to Jerusalem uh, to, to get alongside all of the, the religious leaders there, you know, sort of rub up against them, he chooses to go to where the people are. He goes to the River Jordan. And he identifies himself with those who are responding to John's call for repentance. You know, as we looked at uh, during the week, our midweek service, when Jesus was only 12 years old, um, and he he goes missing in Mary and Joseph's eyes. They've left him behind. And he hasn't gone missing, he's just spent the time in the temple. But Jesus knew at that point what his mission was at the age of 12. But here we are 18 years later, as he's at his 30th birthday, that his, his ministry will start to begin. It's now gonna, he's now going to carry out his walk uh, to the cross. And as Jesus prays, the Father speaks and confirms that the time has come. That God was breaking into human history through Jesus, who was the long-expected Messiah, the the Christ, the the, the Savior of the world. And as I touched on in the the weekly email this week, um, it's also one of several places where we see the three persons of the Trinity um, at work together and in the the same place and visual uh, for everyone to see. I'm not going to expand too much uh, on the Trinity. We'd be here for a while uh, if I was to go through the Trinity. We will uh, eventually, but not uh, today. Um, but here we have the, the three persons of the Trinity being mentioned Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want us to focus on just a few words that are found in verse 21. Because it says, When Jesus also had been baptized. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. Now, I also alluded to in the weekly email that from pretty much the beginning of uh, church history, um, baptism has been a a hotly contested subject. And I want us to park that today. Whatever your views are on uh, particular forms of baptism and the reasoning why we do certain things, We're going to put that to the side and we can talk about that another day. But I want us to focus on those words when Jesus also had been baptized. Because the thing is, if baptism was and is a a, a sign of of repentance, um, why did Jesus ask to be baptized? Why did he also receive baptism? We know that Jesus was the the only one without sin. So why would he feel the need for baptism? It certainly seems like a a legitimate question to ask. Um, Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Even John is bemused by it. Um, If we were to look at the account of the baptism uh, in chapter 3 of Matthew's gospel, at verse 13, we are able to read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented Jesus tells John that it's proper that they do this. It would fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying that that it's right that he is making this commitment right now. And it's the will of God that John was to baptize him. Fully preparing the way for Jesus to enter into his ministry here in the world. And equally, Jesus is also recognizing John's authority, God-given authority to carry out the ministry that that John had been given, that John was to be the Baptist, John was to be the baptizer. You know, he'd been given this work to do, and Jesus accepts that and recognizes John's authority. Equally, Jesus presenting himself for baptism is this first step in his earthly mission where he identifies with with humankind by meeting us where we are. These people were presenting themselves for for baptism. They're looking to repent, and Jesus gets in alongside them. The whole idea of God wanting to fully experience his creation, that he wanted to enter into our world and fully experience all of our our emotions, the good and the, the bad, you know, the, the second uh, thing is that by endorsing the, the rite of baptism, Jesus was giving us an example to follow. You know, we're, we're, we're called to follow him and do the things that we see him doing. And by Jesus presenting himself for baptism, not only does he legitimize what John is doing, but he's legitimizing this idea of needing to repent and be washed of our sin, that we would be forgiven i've said it to many people over the the years that you know that's the amazing thing about jesus you know he comes and he meets us where we are you know no matter where we find ourselves jesus wants to come and meet with us where we are in our good times and in our bad times not just when we're struggling but he wants to be part of our lives 100 percent of the time and wants to be where we are but, but even better than that, he doesn't just leave us where he finds us. You know, he calls us to follow him. He wants to lead us into the, the, the lighter places, you know, the light of the world. He wants to lead us into that, that place of being able to live as people who are in the kingdom, right here and now. Not when we have to wait um, until we move on, but that we're able to live as people who live in the kingdom right here and now. That we are children of God and that we need to live like it. No one is off limits to Jesus. It doesn't matter what they've done or, or said. It's never, ever enough to disqualify them from being able to receive salvation through Jesus. That they too have that, that opportunity to repent, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be washed of their sin. And the thing is, that can be difficult for us to accept because there are, there are people in our world that we think should be disqualified, that they've done things or they've said things that we think should be an automatic disqualification. But they too have the same offer of repentance and salvation as we do. And I don't know about you, But I'm kind of glad that no one is disqualified because, well, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but I'm not perfect. Maybe somebody sitting here this morning is perfect 100% of the time. But I'm kind of glad that no one is disqualified, that each and every one of us was and is given that opportunity for repentance. We might get things wrong from time to time. And it's good that we're not disqualified. And the thing is, Jesus will never ask us to do anything that we that he's not willing to do himself. You know, that's another example of Jesus saying, Look, I'm able to get into this water, and you too should be doing that too. But I can imagine that there probably weren't many people that were that were that were really happy with what Jesus was doing. We know that throughout the Gospels there are many people who are looking to uh, to de- derail him, to to publicly shame him, um, ultimately it would lead to the cross. But I can imagine as people are standing on the the, the shores of the River Jordan and they're seeing what's going on, and Jesus is associ- associating himself with with these people who are coming. I can imagine there'd be people who were not happy about it. You know, in verse 12, before. Uh, our reading this morning, we read that even, even tax collectors is how it's, how it's written. Even tax collectors were coming to John. So that tells you how people viewed tax collectors um, back then. It's a good job that we, we look favorably on tax collectors uh, here in 2023. People are happy to, to pay their taxes now. But in verse 12, we read that even tax collectors came to be baptized. Tax collectors back then, extorters of their own people. They would all take their their little cut before they gave what Rome required of them. Extorters of their own people. But here they come, and Jesus is right there with them in the water willing to associate with people who society had shunned, would, would, would reject and despise. People, these people would have been despised. All because Jesus wanted to lead them to into the kingdom of God, that no one was off limits to Him. And the thing is, a third reason as to why Jesus um, needed to, to present Himself for baptism is that it's a very public announcing of his ministry, that as he comes along to to accept John's authority and to really kick-start his his ministry. You know, Jesus began living as our substitute. We've sang about it uh, in Christ alone. He became our, our substitute from the minute he was conceived but it's now that he is starting that ministry that will walk him towards the cross. He doesn't present himself as a, a, a sin offering until this moment. This is, this is it. He's been in the temple and he impressed everyone there at 12 years old, but now he starts his ministry. And it's at his baptism that we see him openly and willingly take on that role of being able to walk towards the cross on our behalf. A fourth reason for Jesus being baptized was for those who were still sitting on the fence, wondering what was was actually going on here. They might have been a bit um, annoyed with Jesus in terms of who he was associating with. Some might have still thought it was John that was the Messiah and who's this Jesus guy coming along. But for those who were sitting on the fence, they can be in no doubt because the fullness of the Trinity is on show right in their midst. Verses 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit's appearance in the form of a dove descending down and resting on Jesus showed that God's plan for salvation would be centered fully on Jesus. That the dove comes down on Jesus and everyone there is able to see it. It's like a huge spotlight shining right down on Jesus as he's in there in the River Jordan as he comes up out of the water and this dove rests on him. And if the dove wasn't enough, that that didn't convince people, the voice of the Father booms from heaven with the statement that Jesus is the beloved Son of God, that he is the Messiah. Jesus was fully God and fully human, the perfect human who didn't need baptism, didn't need to repent from sin, but he chose to be baptized anyway on our behalf. And the main takeaway from this morning is to remember John the Baptist's words in verse 16 of our passage this morning where he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We are not saved by the water that is used in our baptisms. However that was done, not the water, but we are called to baptism by Jesus himself, both through his physical example of actually willing his willingness to get into the River Jordan, but also his call to us and to all of his disciples in the Great Commission that we read in Matthew chapter 28, where it says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations,' Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus has baptized you and I with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's not the water that saves us, but Jesus' baptism of Holy Spirit and fire. We are called to live our lives as people who have been baptized in this way, who live with the Holy Spirit and the fire in a That's the call in our life. We're called to be different, not only on the outside, like I spoke about earlier, but also on the inside. That people would know that we were devoted followers of Jesus through the way that we live our life. A people who have been baptized not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. So let's make a commitment this morning to never, ever allow that fire to go out. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you you never shy away from anyone. We thank you for your your willingness to, to be baptized, your willingness to show us the way, Lord, we thank you that through our baptism we are baptized by the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we're sorry for those times where we, where we don't allow that fire to be on show to the world. Help us to, to show the world that we are followers of you. Not just by the, the words that we say, but through our actions. That just as you have loved us, we would love you and the world, that we would serve others and you so much better. So Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that you give us that strength. And we pray that by by your spirit, we would be encouraged to serve others more. And all this we ask in your precious name. Amen.